Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. We, as automotive enthusiasts, spend a lot of time researching and modifying our cars in pursuit of better performance. However, we often tend to overlook our own physical performance and take for granted what it takes to keep performing at a high level all day at a racetrack. Many of us have felt the track day hangover, which for some can feel like an actual hangover. Headaches, fatigue, lack of motivation, those are all signs of dehydration. Usually day two of a track weekend, you can see folks in the paddock moving slower, not nearly as energized, nor as motivated, just kind of feeling a little bit off. And with us tonight to discuss proper hydration and nutrition techniques is Ken Newbill, Holistic Health and Nutrition Consultant. From Newbill of Health, welcome to the show, Ken. Good evening. It's nice to see you both. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And as always, I'm your host, Brad. And I'm Eric. So let's roll. So let me set the stage here for our audience. For those of you that are loyal listeners and fans of the GT Motorsports webpage, you will have noticed in the past, we've written some articles about this. Big shout out to two of our members, Sam and Andrew, who put together articles about health and hydration with respect to this particular topic. Ken is a professional in this field, and we wanted to get the inside scoop on some expanded techniques on avoiding the track day hangover, prepping for a track weekend, recovering from these hot out in the sun with no shade motorsports types of events. So Ken, why don't we kick this conversation off with hydration first? You know, as they used to joke on Star Trek, humans are bags of mostly water. And that being said, we do need water or liquid in order to survive. But being properly hydrated, it's very complex, right? It's all about regulating your body temperature, delivering nutrients, you know, keeping organs functioning, amongst other things. What really is that high watermark, pun intended, on a normal day-to-day basis of intake versus something more strenuous like a track event. You know, you hear these numbers, 64 ounces a day, gallon a day. What are we supposed to be shooting for? I'm going to drop some knowledge on you guys today that might be a little shocking. If anybody listening to this right now went out to actually hit an actual research site to define how much water a human should drink a day, you will not find a conclusive study, period. It's never existed because we all have one major metric of hydration that gets us to drink water. It's called thirst. I get asked this question by all my clients all the time. Like, hey, you know, I heard I should be drinking half my body weight in in water. Is that true? For some people, it is because of their output. Let's transition a little bit, not so much for the amount, but let's talk about what hydration is. When we understand what hydration is versus watering the body, hydration and watering the body are two different things. So water is just an aqueous solution. There's nothing in it technically, it's H2O. That's pure water. As soon as there's something else in that water, it's no longer water from a molecular standpoint. We have to be honest about this, almost most people don't wanna give that credence. So if you were to pick up like an average bottle of water, there's typically more than water in it. So Mm -hmm. there might be sodium bicarbonate, 
or something like that to help raise the pH balance of that water or potassium citrate or something like that. You'll probably find some level of additive to a lot of the so-called plain waters out there. That's no longer technically H2O from a chemistry standpoint, period, point blank. Anybody can try to argue that, but they'd be wrong. Let's think a little primally as humans, why did we drink water and where did we source our water from before the invention of cities and tap water, purification plants and all this wazoo stuff? We got it from the creek or the river or the lake. All that water, that H2O was not pure H2O. It was H2O with all types of other things in it that humans naturally knew they needed. One of the most important parts about drinking any spring water from the source, what are you getting? You're getting the minerals and all the additives that that water has traversed through to get to you or wherever that source of water is that you're gonna take in. So hydration is about producing electricity at a cellular level. That's hydration. I tend to remember it that way by thinking of hydroelectricity. We are hydroelectricity makers. So we take in this aqueous solution that we just label as water in hopes thereof from a primal standpoint that we're going to achieve the hydration levels from the electrolytes naturally existing in that water because humans cannot make one mineral. We don't make any. We make vitamins, but we don't make any minerals. And minerals actually drive the spark of life at the cellular level when they're in charge of so many functions in the body, it'd probably make your head spin. And I would say typically in most medicinal journals and even people that are talking a lot on different podcasts about health, they have no depth of understanding around this piece here that is kind of a root foundational wellness strategy. So when we think about that hydration, I don't care about how much water you drink. You could get hydration from fruit, probably one of the best sources of aqueous solutions that can hydrate you because the tree has already filtered out all the junk. So you're you're getting good stuff in a fruit. So if you're taking in good organic fruits, these are way more hydrating than the average crappy cup of water that people are typically drinking because there's nothing in the water. It's just wet. (laughs) (laughs) So that's amazing, right? Kind of earth shattering. They're mind blowing for a lot of people that probably haven't broken it down to that level. So you are hitting us with some serious knowledge here. Let's hold on the alternatives to water for a moment and let's discuss dehydration for just a moment. We all know it's bad. It's like a curse word. So dehydration. A lot of people don't know when they are dehydrated. And you mentioned something, you know, you need to drink when you're thirsty. And I've always heard that when you know that you're thirsty, it's already too late, right? Right. You're already probably dehydrated at that point. Is drinking in that moment enough? How long does it typically take to recover from when you are thirsty? How much do you need to overcome and rebalance? Like, how do you know these things? How do you know when it's too late, right? There's so many conditions there. A lot of folks will say you should also prehydrate. Yeah, let's take it from soup to nuts, you know. So what's a good prehydration strategy? And ultimately, that means that you just don't allow yourself to get dehydrated. So that's the ultimate strategy is just what are you doing to protect yourself from going into a state of dehydration? Are you resting enough? That's part of dehydration. What type of activity are you doing, especially for athletes like drivers that are going to be in these hot conditions any time of the year, once you get it behind that machine, depending on what you're driving, it's going to be hot. It's going to be intense. There's going to be a lot of adrenaline. There's a lot of hormones produced 
doing that activity. So you want to preload. And all that really means is you want to make sure you're compensating for what you're about to do. So if you've been like just you know, going about your week, you know, happy go lucky, but you really haven't focused on I'm racing in four days. Okay. And I think that's a really good point to start pulling your shit together, if you will, about getting serious about loading your body and preparing for a very athletic event that's going to exhaust you. With that hydration strategy comes this, less sugar, number one. Sugar dehydrates the hell out of you. So you've instantly got to start moving away from sugar, processed sugars, and simple carbohydrates, your chips and cakes and all the stuff that we know we're not supposed to be eating anyway, but we like them, right? So we eat them sometimes. Well, this is a good time to just be like, okay, I'm going to go really lean going into this race so that I'm not pulling anything. So one of the things that we don't think about nutritionally, even when it comes to hydration is whatever you eating is either giving to you or taking away from you. There's an exchange. It's not just an input because it requires resources to process what you're putting in your body. During this next four days, you want to put in things that are just giving and giving and giving to you as much as possible and not taking a lot from you. So lighter foods four days in are a good idea. Just lighter foods, I conserve energy. Um, when you conserve energy, you also conserve your hydration because all of this stuff requires juices and things to make happen. Like you think about your digestive tract itself. We've got all this water in the system as we're digesting foods. So the heavier your food is, the heavier the digestive load is as well, which is going to require more water to do so. And then by the time it makes it to your rectum, you're hopeful that much of it can be absorbed back into your body. If you can, just depends on the state of your wellness and your health. Let's preload with just basic stuff. Get on your fruits and vegetables hard because they all have water in them. They're easier to digest. And I would think like the easier digestible foods that aren't super high in fiber. Like right now at summertime, your squashes, your cucumbers and tomato salads, avocado's cool because it's got fat there. And it's also still like 85% water, even though it doesn't look like it. And this way you don't have to really get into like this box, if you will, of picking out specific foods and fruits. Just go eat a ton of fruits and vegetables leading into this opportunity so that your digestive system will probably be nice and flowy. Things will be moving out as they should. So by the time you make it there, you're not constipated, you're not dehydrated, things are working as they should. So you've got the best opportunity possible. And then moving into race day, you need to prepare a pack, make a hydration pack. So you need to have some good drinks on deck that are going to support you throughout the event. And you want to start drinking those types of drinks four days out. So you need to start drinking your mineral beverages, your electrolyte drinks, you know, your coconut waters, you know, mixing it up, getting some diversity in there so you're not bored. And just, you know, some plain water is fine too. But a simple thing that anybody listening could do is for every 16 ounces of water that you're drinking, one squeeze of a full lemon or lime into that water, get you some vitamin C in there and grab a pinch of Celtic sea salt. This is the gray sea salt that you can get at your local grocer. It's wet, so it doesn't do very well in a grinder, but it's got a little gray color to it because it's not processed, which means it has over 92 trace minerals in it. Interesting. Just doing that alone on a regular basis, here's something that most people find. 
they don't need to drink as much water. And that's because the salt allows you to absorb more quickly right into your system. Exactly. And it's going to serve your systems. Even though we're talking a lot about hydration, you know, you mentioned like that after effect, Yep. right? The day after you're like beat down because you're not just dehydrated. You've also went through a very significant emotional event. And so you have tapped out all your hormones. You have had some serious highs and some serious lows. So you have pumped out a crap ton of cortisol. Your adrenal glands are tired. And that's part of your hormonal discourse. And that hangover that you're feeling is I need more salt and potassium because both of those nutrients drive how adrenal glands work and perform. So I heard bananas and salt in there. That's what I heard. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's think of some other cool potassium foods, right? One of my favorites, potatoes. This is why potatoes are an actual survival food. There's not a whole lot of foods on the planet that that's all you could eat and thrive. Think Holocaust. Why? Because it's full of nutrients and it has a crap ton of potassium, which is one of the hardest nutrients for Americans to get the right amount. If you look at recommended daily allowance, they're going to tell you a really poor lie of 99 milligrams a day. That's doing nothing but keeping you above the grade, barely. The number's more like 4,900 to 5,000. Wow. And so when I run labs on my clients and I'm looking at their cellular mineral levels, potassium's always one of the bottom next to magnesium. Magnesium is often not included in electrolyte drinks. So I encourage you to use one that includes magnesium because it is going to make you feel like a million bucks. Okay. You're going to feel more refreshed. You're going to feel even more relaxed. Your muscle twitches are going to dissipate between the combination of magnesium, sodium, and potassium. Having those concentrated in a, in a drink is bar none amazing. And you won't feel the drag. If you think about getting halfway through a race and you start to feel the dip, energy's coming, you're trying to get the focus back, your focus is not as sharp. If you're constantly trickling in magnesium, sodium, and potassium while you're driving, your edge is going to be so much better. Your attention span, your reaction time is going to be way cleaner because you're not depleting. You're just constantly keeping the tank full, keeping those electrolytes and at the cellular level. And that's what we want. You get that fire of ATP. So what's funny about that is, you know, I think some of our audience, the closest they get to ingesting magnesium is licking vintage Porsche transmissions. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Is there a natural way to get magnesium into your system outside of some of these sports drinks that might have it in it? Yeah, I mean, there's absolutely plenty of foods that you can get with magnesium, but nobody wants to eat them. Your highest magnesium foods are going to be green leafy vegetables, dark green leafy vegetables, especially like chard, collards, kale. Kale's getting a bad rap these days. Oh my God, I did a post on my Facebook page yesterday asking like, What's the um, health food that you hate the most, you despise the most? And kale was catching a bad rap. I didn't know we had gotten there. And you know what's funny about that? I grew up, you know, in a, in a European household. And, and for us, bitter leafy greens are just part of the culture. You're eating right. things like radicchio and stuff like that. And, and even, I mean, in the old country, they're eating like dandelion and stuff. And you're just like, man, but you get you get used to it after a you while. Do. You're like, you know, it's not in kale. I'm like, man. This is that. This is pretty good. Yeah, I remember the the first time I was deployed to Germany. I went out to eat on the local market for the first time, and I got the salad with my food. And I was like, "Who picked these weeds and put these on my plate?" So let's circle back a little bit. We talked about prehydration, but the signals, like we said, oh yeah, yeah. So the first thing you're going to feel 
is probably you might get, if you're lucky, you'll get the precursor dry mouth. You might skip dry mouth and start getting to the low, dull headache, which is typically bad things are about to happen. If you're pretty depleted on magnesium, for example, you may be prone to a migraine at that point. And I'm sure that happens sometimes on the track where guys are like, Jesus, my head is banging. I can't make and, it stop. And then people are taking the military cocktail, right? A couple of Advil and some Monster. And then that's, yeah. you know, it's supposed to rectify the problem, right? <laughs> Trying to get it right. He's like, whatever it takes to get out of pain, to get refreshed. You just may feel your response time is a big part of dehydration that creeps up on people. Your response time is just not as sharp. So don't think it's not happening. It's really happening. You're really not turning as fast as you were before. You're really not coming out of the turns as well as you were before. You got to truly take that into account because the ego just wants to go. It just wants to perform and ignore those things when you're trying to win a race. You know, I rode bikes for a very long time. I love to race bikes and I've been under that helmet plenty of times about the blackout. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm stupid. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, I guess it's part of the fun, right? We just want to, we're high on that adrenaline and that adrenaline just comes at a cost. Crotchety fingers. If you feel your hands start tightening up or swelling, that's a sign of dehydration as well. Ankles swelling, knees swelling. You might even start to get puffy in the face. And so this is the attempt of the body to try to retain water because it knows that you are dehydrating. And so you probably really need to get some more potassium into the body if you start swelling right away. So slam a banana, eat an avocado, grab a drink like we said before. But the headache thing is really bad. Now there's the next stage, you know, in the military, you do not want to get to heat exhaustion or heat stroke. And this is where things get really deadly. And that's when we stop perspiring. So if you stop sweating and it's hot, that ain't normal. And you need to, you need to back down and you need to figure things out because you might not make it through this. You might die. I have had heat exhaustion very close to heat stroke before when I was in the military and it's not fun at all. And you'll never want to go through it again if you survive it. So if you've been pretty wet and all of a sudden you're bone dry, but the environment hasn't changed and you're still pushing, that's a clear indicator that you better start drinking. And at this point, we want to get wet. All right. Just get wet right away because you've ran out of juice. <laughs> you have ran out. Of, your sprinkler system is all out of resources. You're going to start overheating because you're going to get hot. Right. And that's one thing to just figure out is how hot am I? Am I like, so when you first get on the track and I know as the day goes long, track's going to get hotter typically, you know, during the summer months. So it's going to get hotter throughout the day, but you've got to kind of gauge yourself when you're in it, if you're able to get in and out of the vehicle or just when you first get in for that ride, all right, how comfortable am I in my gear? Because some guys wear full body suits racing. So that can tax a lot from you. Is that thing soaked? with all your sweat, what comes out needs to go back in. So you kind of have to think about that. And so for guys that are experienced drivers, they may notice this when they drive and they're like, dude, I probably sweat at least a half a gallon in that suit through the course of a race. And some people more, like I'm a really heavy sweater. That'll give you a good indication of how to preload. I've got experience with this. I know how much I typically perspire in a race of this statute. Let me make sure as I'm building up to this, and there's nothing wrong with doing a little force hydration as well for sports, taking in a gallon of water and really making your body kind of saturate itself 48 hours prior to going in, not such a bad idea. Just make sure you have a place to pee because you're probably going to need to pee a lot 
on race day. So I don't know how you guys handle that in the car, but I'm sure you have very inventive ways to get it done. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, that's a great segue. This is probably the third time you've brought it up. And I wanted to thank you the first time you said it, which is the understanding that motorsport is a sport. It is an oh, athletic yeah. sport. A lot of people don't consider it that, oh, you're just driving around the circle. It's like driving on the beltway. I'm like, nah, no, really. Cabin work. temperatures are 150 degrees. You're under pressure. You're wearing full Nomex. You know, you're wearing a Hans device, which is pushing you down, which actually a lot of people don't realize doesn't allow you to perspire properly because Woo. we perspire up and this thing is carbon fiber, keeping you down, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and again, thank you for that. But what it does lead me to is something you mentioned, you know, the peeing situation. So yes. there's a couple of, I guess, maybe wives tales or myths that I want to address, right? Sure. The quote unquote, the fabled urine test, right? Looking at the color of your pee determines how dehydrated oh you are, sure. right? And the other one has to do with the temperature of the fluid that you ingest. Is it better to drink something warm because you absorb it more quickly or because you drink it cold, your body actually generates more heat, more energy to consume a cold beverage because now you have to generate heat in your body to process it. All these kinds of things you hear about all the time. So what is fact and what is crap? (laughs) Well, first we'll start with the first one with the color of your urine. Let's start with comparing us to your dog. So have you ever seen your dog pee clear? Not quite. (laughs) You're never going to see a dog pee clear unless it's got diabetes. Okay. So their pee has always got some level of yellow in it because that means your kidneys are filtering appropriately for the volume of things coming into your body. Measuring color of our urine, I wouldn't say is a great indicator always of how hydrated you are. What it could mean is you've drank a lot. Okay. So you drank a lot, but guess what? I remember doing forced hydration drills in pre-ranger school where we would have to line up in a line. It was some bit of hazing, if you will. So we all ate way too much food. And then they line us up and make us drink bottles of hot sauce. And we got to drink all the water. So they show up with like 10, five gallon cans of water that we all need to drink. We only have two canteens, 16 ounces each, right? Top those off. And then we got to drink the rest. I've seen plenty of guys drink a crap ton of water and still have heat injuries. Why? It's just water going in. Okay, there's nothing else serving them. In fact, too much water and peeing clear means you're probably having renal leakage of other nutrients. You're probably leaking out potassium, leaking out sodium, and leaking out magnesium because you're putting all this force on the body to hydrate to get to this clear state. So no, I don't see that as an indication of proper hydration. Proper hydration should be a skin test. How elastic your skin is. Yeah, that's where all the fluids are going, right? They're going to the skin and the muscles and to the tissue. So that's a way better indicator of how hydrated you are. Now, if you are dehydrated, your skin's going to go up here and stay up here. It'll be like, hey, it's going to hang out until it goes down. You'll find people like this on a track. Try this test. I guarantee you, you'll be like, dude, you're about to die. You need to drink some water. <laughs> your skin's sticking up like you're 95 years old. Like what's up with that? You're 35. Let's just dismiss that color thing. Now, if you're peeing butter, yeah, you could probably lay off the alcohol or the beer or whatever's got you peeing butter. All right. <laughs> or the butter. <laughs> I mean, if, you, if you're peeing butter, please consult the doctor I mean, immediately. <laughs> There's something else going on. But no, you want your urine to have some color in it. Otherwise, you're probably overtaxing your urinary system. You're just putting too much in and not enough other good things 
to allow the hydration to actually happen. And so the water's just going to move through you, cause you to pee a lot, and you don't feel any better. You're just peeing. But you're like, but I don't feel better. The only thing that's going to make you feel better is a little sugar, a little salt, and other minerals. That's what ignites you and gets you to actually feel refreshed. See, see you know what I just heard him say? The answer is Jägermeister. That's the answer. <laughs> and Monster. You can't forget the Monster. That's true. Monster and Jäger is where it's at. But getting back to the other two you kind of You guys know caffeine, no good. Caffeine, no good. I know. We'll talk about that in a minute, but let's dispel the other two myths a little bit here about the temperature of the liquid. You know, nobody wants to yeah. drink hot coffee on a hot day or, you know, is ice cold water better for you than let's say room temperature water? Yeah. And so I've went through these things for years back and forth. And so there's always like the perfect primal way of doing things. And then there's also like, but I'm a modern human man. I grew up drinking cold beverages and I like them. I like a cold beverage. It does help you reduce your body temperature. So a cold beverage on a hot day, I hear you, the naysayers out there, but, but, but it's going to cause your body to burn more energy to, to bring it into the body. Do you know how much? Probably negligible is my guess, right? It's nothing. It's water. Your body can change the temperature of something pretty quick because it's already hot. Okay. So I think we can get very overly sensitive and really focus on minute things that just don't really matter. Point of the matter is, does it make you feel good? Does it make you feel refreshed? Did it lower your body temperature? I'm drinking a cold beverage. You can go drink that lukewarm crap if you want to, but on a hot summer day, I'm from Texas, man. We're drinking cold water right now. It's a hundred every day. Yes. Can we get, break down and get anal about it and go, yep, you might burn more energy, but if I have the energy to burn, who cares? Exactly. I've got some extra fat on my belly I can use to burn. What do I care about? Right. I want to feel refreshed and feel alert and feel safe getting behind that machine. I'm about to, to drive 150 or whatever. Know that I'm going to come out alive. And if the lukewarm water restricts you from drinking, then that's not your choice. Because it's not what we can do, it's about what we will do that matters the most. Even if you turn someone onto an electrolyte beverage and they hate it and they won't drink it, what good is that going to do for them? You got to find another way for them to, to take care of themselves. Ken, that's another great segue. So into our next section where I need to first quote Derek Zoolander because moisture... Okay. <laughs> is the essence of wetness and wetness is the essence of beauty, but we need to go beyond water, right? We need to, <laughs> we need to understand these other drinks, additives, whatever that are out there that will help supplement what we're losing. Like you're saying, as we're burning it throughout the day, we need to replenish. We need to replenish the potassium, the magnesium, the salt, all those kinds of things. So if you look back over time, Gatorade was where it's at, calling them yeah. out. And the original Gatorade is not the Gatorade of today, just like the original Mobile One is very different than the Mobile One that you buy off the shelf today. The original Gatorade was developed, it was very much like a saline solution, right? It was, it's very different than it is now. Now there's, you know, 37 colors that you can't find in nature that it exists in. Blue color is so special to me. Oh God. But, <laughs> but, you know, now there's competitors, you got vitamin water, body armor, you've got even things from like cliff where it's like cube additives and gel packs and yep. Nemo, I think you can squeeze in the water, but you were saying, you know, add lemon lime. Is it one of those, it's whatever works for you and resonates with your body, or is there really maybe a top five or top three that people should be gravitating towards in highly strenuous, high heat types of athletic events like we're dealing with? I would say first, you know, like you mentioned before, just look for the beverages that are still trying to live on their legacy and have been bought out by huge soda companies like Gatorade. You know, when we were growing up, nobody wanted to drink Gatorade. Nobody wanted that garbage. It was horrible. Why? Because it was a true electrolyte beverage. 
back then. It didn't have any sugar in it at all. Yeah, it only had minerals and potassium and a little bit of chalky, really bad flavoring that they hadn't quite figured out yet. We only had two flavors back then, remember? Green and orange. That's right. And orange was really bad. It was like oh, a like a bastard awful. version of Tang. <laughs> now we got the Crayola crayon box of colors. Yeah, and now you can pick any, anything you want. Just remember when you're trying to hydrate, you don't want to bring in a bunch of sugar. Here's the thing though. I think there's a balance to strike. A little bit of sugar on a really hot day in a beverage or in one of your beverages throughout the day could be a bit of a lift. But if every beverage you're picking up is a strong high fructose corn syrup based beverage, you're putting yourself in a further deficit. You're not helping yourself at all. You might as well be drinking Jim Beam or something because you're just going to keep dehydrating yourself more. And also it takes 54 molecules of magnesium to digest one molecule of sugar. So just remember, everything comes at a cost. How much is this sweet worth to me? If I just want to feel good and do my job today and show up and kick ass on the track, it's business. It's the day to show up and kick ass. Go do your work. Have your work beverage with you. That's not, you know, a foo-foo beverage. It's not the sweetest and tastes the best, but it makes you feel great and it works and it gets the job done. And watch out also for things that include a lot of these goos and stuff. They have maltodextrin in them as like one of the leading ingredients. Okay. And that's a genetically modified piece of crap corn derivative that you don't really want in your body, number one. Number two, it's going to dehydrate. It's not going to help you. It's a quasi sugar. All bets are off for those types of substances. Push those off to the side. So look for these types of ingredients, maltodextrin, all the various 50 different names of sugar that's out there, dextrose, sucralose, sucrose, because they'll try to hide it in many different ways. Oh, this electrolyte drink is sugar-free, just going to poison you with something else, aspartamine. You got to deal with that diet sweetener. It'll make your body kind of respond in a similar manner as if it was real sugar anyway. You know, there was a craze there for like half a second for aloe water, right? And you're like, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> why? I don't understand why anybody wants to suck on an aloe plant, but you know, hey, I, I got it when I got a burn, I'm going to put it on my hands, but yes. I don't want to, I don't want to make tea out of it. But the new hotness seems to be coconut water. It seems to be everywhere. Oh, yeah. I have a hard time with it because of whatever they mix it with. A lot of times, to your point, you talk about chalky, the old days of Gatorade, stuff like that. Some of that coconut water, it's just, it's so dense, right? It's almost mm -hmm. sappy and it's like, it's hard to drink in some ways. Now, I've personally found, I'm going to name drop here, Body Armor, which is made with coconut water, is actually a pretty good balance. I haven't mm -hmm. read the label like you have. What's the story? What's the scoop with coconut water? Why? Well, coconut water is just one of the most balanced electrolyte beverages on the earth that nature built. And it's just that plain and simple. It's balanced. It's got so many things that you need to refresh, high potassium, a little bit of sodium, some magnesium. It's a good, refreshing beverage. I don't like them. I'll be straight up with you. I don't like drinking coconut water. I will drink it, though, if I need it. And if that's all that's around that I can get my hands on, I'm going to drink that. But the aloe stuff, dude, aloe's great for your gut. That's what aloe is really good for is soothing, healing, astringent. It's antiseptic, antibacterial, antimicrobial, all that good stuff. It's good to help your gut out. It doesn't have super strength for hydration. You know, it's really more of a, a soothing opportunity for digestion and things of that nature. And of course, topically, you know, to heal from things, you know, going back to your initial point in terms of, you know, what's the deal with all these different types of drinks, Powerade, Gatorade, those are the same thing, right? Just slide them to the side. Coke versus Pepsi. Ignore, just ignore, <laughs> ignore all the energy drinks. I know that's hard to say for a lot of people. You yeah, don't shoot me. 
okay? Ignore all the energy drinks because they're going to dehydrate the heck out of you because not only do they have plenty of sugar types of substances in them, they also have hormonal misregulators in them. You will not be as calm as you want to be under pressure. You're going to be a little more jacked up. Also, your blood's probably going to be a little thinner because some of them things have thermogenics in them. So they kind of just make you sweat, which you don't want to do. You don't want to sweat extra. Okay. So remember, I'm not trying to sweat extra. I just want to sweat normal. So I'm trying to hold on to my fluid so I can stay hydrated as long as possible. A drink that I would recommend, Cocoa One, which is one of the coconut water, pretty decent. Trust me, they're not all equal. Most of the coconut waters, they don't have a lot of coconut water in them. So I've done a lot of research on this and with a couple supplement companies to help me verify some things. And so I can make the best recommendations for my client as well. So you can actually find really cool dehydrated coconut powders that are really good. They've been blended in such a way where they have lots of hydration potential and feel good stuff in there that doesn't misregulate you or dehydrate you, but just supports you. It might have a little bit of mushrooms in there. Mushrooms can make you feel good. Not psychedelic, but they'll make you feel good. I mean, psychedelic ones are nice too, but that's another story. (laughs) But a little fungus among us, right? So it's all right. But what I encourage people to do, so when I go golf, especially this time of year, I make a mineral beverage for myself. And so I'll take some type of fruit powder, like some kind of bioflavonoid powder has like mixed berries and stuff like that, just to give it some flavor, toss that in my bottle. And then I will put in some liquid electrolytes, which anyone can find trace minerals. If that's all you're starting with, just go grab a bottle of ionic trace minerals by trace elements. You can find it on Amazon, super easy. Doesn't taste like much, not super bitter. So you can pour that in there. You can find you a magnesium liquid supplement to put in there. That's also along the same lines and maybe a little bit of potassium. Just get that thing to taste like something for yourself. Add a little salt to it if it needs some salts. And it should be just a little salty, not a lot, just a little salty. Like, "Mm, I can taste something there, but it doesn't offend you. It shouldn't be offensive. This way you can just pour that over some ice because I'm drinking cold beverages on a hot day. (laughs) The lukewarm police can come arrest me. I I don't care. So I'm going (laughs) to... I'll pour that over ice one batch at a time and sip on that and feel super fresh the entire round. I'll go get to the 18th hole and I feel like no big deal. I feel completely legit. Like I could go another round. And that's what you want to feel like when you end the race. You want to end the race strong. You don't want to get across the line and be like, dude, I am done. You're still going to have that adrenaline crash after that you got to cope with. Outside of that, you should be feeling pretty well to do. Another one that I'll throw out there is even doing this with mineral water. So like I'm a big Topo Chico mineral water fan, super seltzery. So it's super refreshing, man. It's probably got the most carbonation out of any of the mineral waters on the market, better than Perrier. So if you, if you like the bubbles, like I'm a bubbles guy, Topo Chico, it's going to blow your face off. And I mix all my minerals in, in the Topo Chico. I just mix it together and I chug it down. Instead of using plain water, I'll use that. Because Topo Chico has the most uh, minerals per liter than just about any distributed mineral water here in the U.S. It's got more than Perrier and LaCroix. It's got more than both of those, for sure. Uh, and what I also heard there is Ken is a big fan of Don Ho. He likes the tiny bubbles in his wine. I like bubbles. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> I like the bubbles. Well, yeah, one thing I've I've always heard, not specifically about like the track hangover and, and like being dehydrated and stuff, just a normal alcohol hangover cure is Pedialyte. 
you know, people talk about Pedialyte all the time. Yeah. I uh, do. What is your, what are your thoughts on that? I've done it every once in a while. I actually have some in the fridge for if I'm really dehydrated after mowing the lawn on a really hot day or something like that. For sure. Uh, I, I've got that in conjunction with the evil Gatorade. Um, but, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Pedialyte is rock solid. It's just most people cannot drink it. You know? <laughs> it's like it's, it's definitely an acquired taste bit, man so i'll share this little story with you guys the very first day of ranger indoctrination i got really sick i got a migraine and i was in the back of the class like we had just got our butts smoked like we were extremely exhausted it's very first day so they're they're hazing the hell out of us having a party if you will and so i'm in the back and a medic comes up to me and he goes drink this <laughs> for the next hour I um, committed to drinking that and throwing it back up over and oh. over. So if you can't hold it down, Pedialyte's not for you. Just let it go. Find something else or try to dilute it at least because it's a little slimy. It's got a little thickness to it. That's that <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's greasy. It's weird. But it's a legit, man. Pedialyte's legit. It's been legit forever. It's just disgusting. <laughs> so you brought up a really good point about dilution, right? That's another thing that you hear all the time. And I saw it raising my girls as well. You know, if you're going to give them juice or if you're going to give them something, you know, you dilute it with water. I've heard the same thing about, you know, <laughs> Gatorade and whatnot is for every one of those, if you drink one, you need to drink X amount of water to dilute it or mix the two. So is that yeah. true as well? Yeah, because you're taking in so much sugar. You probably need to drink two to one, to be honest to really kind of compensate for how much the sugar is going to take from you. It's not a low dose. Like when you pick up the bottle and you see how many grams it really is, because like a typical bottle is like- Yeah, 16 ounces. 16 ounces, those are two servings. But they don't tell you, they don't really like make it easy for you to figure that out because you're like, oh, this is one, you know, I'm going to drink this at one time, right? Yeah, but you know, you 30, 40 grams of sugar. Yeah, and 400 calories later, right? Yeah. <laughs> you're like, dude, what's up? And so- the, the worst part is you get the quick energy and then you get the crash. Yeah, exactly. That also brings up another great question. Drinks and fluids to avoid. Obviously, top of mind would be dark sodas, sodas in general, anything maybe with caffeine and probably alcohol. Is there anything else on that list? Think about food too. Foods that cause you to want to drink a lot when you eat are typically dehydrating foods. So avoid fried foods for those days, maybe leading into the race day, right? Because they're going to suck a lot out of you. Fried foods suck a lot of water out of you. That's why you get so thirsty when you're eating them. Some other things to avoid drinking. So we've got the alcohol, we've got the coffee, we've got the energy drinks. And that's a hard one for a lot of people because most people are freaking hooked. Like they're just hooked on them. But those you really do want to try to cut loose from. I would probably not be doing a lot of dairy this time of year because dairy is technically like a food, right? So if you're drinking a lot of milk, you probably don't want to do that going into race day. That's just. So I got to ask this question and I know it's, it's I, I know it's not your world, but I got to ask it because we just passed the Indy 500 not long ago. And it's tradition that at the end of the race, he's handed like a quart of milk. He or she, the winner is supposed to drink it. And I'm like, to me, that would be like taking in paint. Like, I, like <laughs> why would you want to drink milk oh. on a hot day? <laughs> There's no way. There's no way I'd want any of that. No, oh. I, I'll pass. You know, milk is a liquid meal, especially if it's whole milk. We used to do challenges where we see who could drink a whole gallon of milk and hold it down for an hour. Oh. You know what you get when you try to do that? You Sick. get cottage cheese. That's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to make cottage cheese. <laughs> Oh, man. So since we're talking about that, you brought up a really good point. Oftentimes, 
people confuse being hungry with being thirsty. Oh, yeah. So how do you really tell the difference? And if you are feeling hungry, are there foods that can be used to offset dehydration? For example, I'm thinking like melons, like watermelon, cantaloupe, right? That are high in water content. Well, first was how do you tell the difference between when you're hungry and thirsty? So you test, you drink first, and you drink a copious amount. So you take in somewhere between eight and 16 ounces or a little more and just slowly drink it. And then walk away from the situation, go and do something. Because nine times out of 10, especially like in the morning times, most people really aren't hungry. They're dehydrated because they haven't drinking anything in nine hours. That's normally what you need is just some, just some water to get going. Just drink something down and give it a half an hour. If in a half an hour, your stomach's rumbling for food, it's probably time to eat. If you feel like you need food, you feel like you're ready for food, go ahead and eat. Think about it. I mean, like a watermelon is one of the most underrated superfoods on the planet. I say it all the time. And it's because it's got such a huge delivery system. It has tons of water to deliver nutrients to you easily. The fiber of the watermelon is very soft and malleable. So melon is the fastest moving food for humans to digest, period. That means that's your fastest hydration opportunity in a food. Don't skip this. Honeydew, watermelon, cantaloupes, all your muskmelon varieties, dig in because they're gonna serve you well. Like everybody feels better after they eat that stuff pretty quickly because it's only like 20 minutes that watermelon's moving through you. Also wanna make sure that when you are eating melons, that you're not combining it with other fruits or vegetables. Because of its fast nature, it has special enzymes that allow it to digest pretty rapidly in the body. It's barbecue season, right? So what do we do? We're cooking ribs and briskets and whatnot. And then what are we having for dessert? Watermelon. Mm-hmm. a lot of times. And so a lot of people have gut problems at the end of barbecues because meat's very slow digesting food. Watermelons are very fast digesting food. And so when it can't get out, <laughs> right, because it's other stuff is in the way, it ferments in the gut. And so then what happens? You get all the bloating, <clears throat> gas, the dissension, maybe a little bit of heartburn or acid reflux. And then when you finally do go, it's a hot mess in the bathroom because the watermelon is forcing the issue. So some things may not really digest that well because watermelon's in the environment. And I know it sounds crazy, but it sure is true. But it's always an opportunity to make a joke. So watermelon <laughs> is nature's Drano. I get it. <laughs> it definitely is. Like you said, melons. Next, citrus. Get all your citrus in. Lemon, lime, grapefruit. Those are my top three. Lemon, but lime, not or, but not oranges. Not oranges necessarily. They're not. They're my number four, and it's because of the sugar content that they have. But the other three, grapefruits. It's getting close to that, but the orange is the sweetest. Who doesn't love a fresh squeezed orange juice? Everybody loves that because it tastes freaking awesome. Because it's sweet as all get out. Plenty of lime, plenty of lemon. Mix it with some grapefruit. Now you got a really nice blend. It'll lift you. You'll feel supported. You get some vitamin C in you. Everybody needs vitamin C. And just the hydration of those fruits are amazing. So even if you're just eating them, that's easy to create for anyone to have a quick grab bag of fruits that are already broken down. Next would be like pears. Like pears right now are really good and they're juicy. It's a really wet fruit. But what's really cool about pear is the skin. Because of the fiber of the pear, it slows down the digestion of it a little bit because the fiber's there. So you don't get that huge sugar spike from that fruit, but you're still getting all that juice and flesh that's nice and watery. So that'll support you as well. So those would be probably my top ones. The other ones are a bit more exotic where you start getting into like kiwi, star fruit, dragon fruits, because of their high water content. Totally cool, but they're just clumsy and fumbly foods to kind of get right. 
I did do this for a month where I ate kiwis with the skin on. Ooh, ooh, that's like eating sandpaper. It was not as bad as I thought it was going to be. It didn't prickle my tongue, which I was concerned about. The skin is so tangy. Oh my gosh, it's super tangy. You know, it's funny on that list, I didn't hear any stone fruits and I didn't hear any berries, probably because they're extremely high in sugar content. Well, the berries just don't have enough. They're not going to give you enough bang for your buck unless you're cool with eating like a half a gallon of blueberries. And that ends poorly too for yeah, most ain't people. Yeah, pretty tight. You're gonna be like a, <laughs> you're gonna be like a bear. You're gonna be like, dude, what, what's happening back there? You're gonna be looking for <laughs> looking for a bunny to square yourself away. <laughs> Before we switch gears, one thing you kind of made me remember again, you know, growing up, especially going overseas and whatnot in Italy, especially they used to sell something over the counter that they would call ace which I didn't realize until way later was just them saying the acronym for vitamins A, C, and E. And basically it was a bottle of lemon, <laughs> carrot, and orange in a, yeah. in a particular proportion. And I always, every time I would try it, I was like, this stuff is amazing. What I wanted to get to here is we often overlook carrots as a source of those extra nutrients that we might be missing. Or vegetable juices in general. I mean, V8s are pretty cool. It's an old school beverage. There's nothing but pretty good stuff in those things, if that's what you can get your hands on. If you're into juicing, dude, there's nothing wrong with juicing some stuff up for a track day. If you're cool with it, and I mean like some fruit juice, some vegetable juice blends, where you're just not doing all sugar stuff, because that's just going to give you a quick push, and you'll probably get some good out of it in the beginning. But without a good hydration plan, that could derail you or it could give you the runs if you're not prepared. If you're So don't try too many new things on track day. So you want to experiment like when you're practicing. So if you're going to go practice this weekend, treat it like a race prep day. You got to practice the stuff and see how your body responds to things. You know, some people, when they start hydrating appropriately, they poop better. So most Americans don't poop very well. So once they start really getting their hydration down appropriately, all of a sudden they're like, dude, I don't know how I'm going to make it through the race. I got to poop like four or five times because your body has to acclimate to it. Yeah. You have to get used to it. Things will then balance out and your bowel movements will become predictable again. But the last thing you want to do is to try all this new things, especially messed around with minerals and you get too many and your body can't absorb them yet. You're going to have the poops and it ain't going to be pretty. So if, you can't, <laughs> if you can't absorb magnesium very well or even salts. You know, I have some clients that I start off on salts that are very low dose salts, and it gives them the runs right away because they're so out of balance. Their body's been so out of balance for so long. The body is not, it has to go really super mega low dose and gradually work them up over time. I'm thinking Virgin Bloody Marys at the next Sunday morning uh, pre-race. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, drink, I drink V8. Celery juice is, a, is, you know, celery juice is not just great for healing, it's a great hydrator too, because it has natural salts in it, uh, which Man. is also cool. If you can stomach celery juice or maybe Ugh. celery juice with some apple juice in it. I was right? going to say, you'd have to cut that with something fierce. Uh. <laughs> in, your, in your watery fruits, your watery vegetables, cucumbers and summer yeah. squash and all of those can be eaten raw. Celery is nothing but water and fiber. These are some of the things I would keep around just like quick snacks because I don't want to eat a meal on race day until it's done, right? I, I'm with you on that. And actually that's a great segue into our next segment, talking about nutrition, the eating side of this conversation, oh, yeah. right? Cause that has a lot to do with it. And I tell you what, the hotter it gets 
And the more amped up I am in the day, the less I want to eat. I just want to yeah. drink and drink and drink and drink. But it, you show me food and I'm like, I'm revolted by it, right? It's, yeah. it's like the last thing on my mind. Now, at the end of the day, I've been chilling in the paddock for a couple hours. I'm like, all right, where, where's the, where's the T-bone? Like, That's right. you know what I mean? I'm like, I'm ready to chow down right at that point. But that brings up the, the big question of what types of combinations of proteins, fats, carbs are ideal for an athletic event like this or other athletic events like this? Um, is carbo loading ahead of time the right strategy? Because you hear that a lot. got to carb up before I do this yeah. you know, big thing. I'm going for a triathlon or whatever. But motorsport is right there with it. So what's the strategy here? You know, there's been a lot of back and forth about carb loading for years. And I think it really depends on the application that you're trying to use it for. Most people tend to have used carb loading mainly for a glycogen effect for muscle building. That's where we have the most scientific based arguments about getting those glycogen stores back up to help support your muscle growth and maintenance. But in terms of like endurance, and things of that level, there's only so much glycogen that you're going to hold on to in your liver. And then the body's either going to, depending on what type of metabolizer you are, is either going to take the rest and convert it to fat, or it's just going to poop it out. There's no need to put yourself in a situation where you think I need to be eating bowls of pasta and potatoes and cake. Most people carb load as an excuse to eat crap, just to be very frank. Like I'm carb loading whole cake, baby. Okay, dude, chill out. <laughs> No, man, you're diabetes loading. That's what you're doing. You're diabetes loading. <laughs> we just have to be honest and understand that food is just information. Okay, it's just information. You don't have to have a whole bag of potatoes on your back inside of you to go into an athletic event because your body's only going to store so much of this stuff. So eat normal, eat clean, whole foods. Could you have some carbs? Yes, you can have some carbs. I'm not telling you not to eat carbohydrates. You're going to want to make sure that that liver is full. You want to get a good glycogen store going on so that you don't feel lightheaded because you're probably, like we said, you are not going to eat a lot on race day. So at some point, you're going to deplete. You're going to tap out by working and moving around and sweating all damn day. Eventually, your glycogen stores are going to go, whoop, I'm out. That's why I mentioned earlier, it's not such a bad idea to have some beverages along the day or just maybe grabbing a piece of fruit here and there that's got, it's got some sugar in it. But it's good sugar right? It's got mainly fructose. And what's good about fructose is it doesn't cause that much of an insulin spike because fructose does not require insulin to carry it to the cell like glucose does. Anything with glucose requires insulin as its partner to get it into the cell. So that creates a higher spike. When we're thinking about, oh, do I want to have a piece of toast or a piece of fruit? Go with the fruit. And that brings up another question, right? As we all know, eating at the track is often extremely limited. Yeah. Right? We don't all have full kitchens and, you know, and all <laughs> that kind of thing at our disposal. A lot of folks like to camp. People will go for fast food or whatever's available at the concession stand or, you know, whatever they're cooking that day. Sometimes there's a cookout at the end of the day. Somebody's barbecuing, somebody's grilling, to your point. If you really want to stay in top shape, especially on a multi-day weekend, you know, a lot of folks are there three days, sometimes longer, depending on what's going on. Oh, yeah. What do you, what's the menu? What's, what's your recommendation for how you should be eating through the course of those couple of days? Especially because if you're rate, you know, racing multiple days at a time, definitely want to get satiating meals, but also stuff that can really lift you and support you. You're going to want some carbs after your race because you're going to be depleted from a lot of sugars. I would be more concerned about after a race, carving up, if you will, 
and I'm really not carving up necessarily. I'll probably have a meal, something like a ton of vegetables and maybe a baked potato or two as a meal. Like that's my meal. It's two baked potatoes and some broccoli and carrots or whatever, steamed or boiled, however I could get them done at the track. Super simple. I might just get some steamers, toss those in a, in a boil pot water, throw them in a microwave if there's, if there's one around. And go that whatever, yeah. Yeah, whatever we got and go that route. And that's a very satisfying meal, believe it or not, because most of us have been raised in America to eat steak and potatoes. But the problem with that is it's really too heavy and it doesn't do that well digesting in the gut. It, it putrefies in the gut. So we miss out on a lot of the nutrients that we should be getting from that meal. We just don't get them. We just poop them out. Definitely fibrous foods. You want to get something that's plenty of vegetables, whatever your, your take is on vegetables. If you can get in like some dark leafy greens, easy on the track is like a, one of those prepackaged bags of mixed salads or spinach that have way more than just like romaine and iceberg in them. You're like, what are these funny looking leaves? Get that bag, the bag with the funny looking leaves, grab a bag of that and eat some of that. And you cover know. in ranch dressing, right? Whatever you got to do, get it in. Whatever you got to do. <laughs> like, well, I don't see no spinach in here. It's just a bowl of white stuff. Is this a soup? <laughs> so one thing you didn't really touch on, because we've talked about carbs and we've talked about fiber and everything, but we don't really talk about protein. Yeah. I was going to say, do you even protein, bro? I protein. I protein. I protein well. You know, protein is everywhere. It's in everything. In America, we are overly protein sensitive <laughs> to think that we can't find protein in, in regular food. And something that a lot of people don't realize is your protein is recycled every day, like 75%. That's kind of, kind of like, what? If you just step back and think about the paradigm that we've been preached to forever, especially like in muscle building magazines and things like that. Hey, if you don't eat right after you work out, like your muscles are going to deflate and you're going to die. That's how they try to make you feel. But let's get back to the brass tacks of understanding we're eating protein to get to some very key nutrients. The top nutrients that we're looking for are essential amino acids. That's what we need the most from meat outside of, especially muscle meat, because muscle meat doesn't have like, you know, in liver where we get 700% of our daily allowance of vitamin A, which everybody's pretty short on because nobody likes to eat organ meat anymore. But that's why organ meat is so freaking healthy. It's because it has a crap ton of vitamins in it, like 400% B12. And we're talking about a little piece of liver, not like a big piece, a little piece, like an ounce or two has that much in it. I thought it came in that little bottle at 7-Eleven for like two bucks. <laughs> You're going to eat meat. This is America. So you're going to end up eating some meat. I'm not worried about that. But I would say if I was in a race mode, I would not eat meat. Would you eat eggs instead? I would eat eggs because I don't consider eggs meat. They're just yeah. an animal protein, but they digest way differently. In fact, the assimilation of egg protein is the highest amount of assimilation any animal protein can make to the human body, 48%. Whatever the value is of the protein, we can actually absorb and assimilate 48% of that wow. protein. Steak, 30% at best. Any other animal flesh, 30% at best. So when you get this big steak and it's like, oh, there's 100 grams of protein in here, your body can only absorb about 30 of them. Interesting. So what about poultry and fish? I consider animal flesh, animal flesh, right? Okay, okay. It all requires the same enzymes to break it down. I have a little bit of concern with some fish. I think some fish just naturally break down easier than others. But the assimilation of the amino acids at the cellular level is still very much the same. 
it's about 30 to 33% maximum. That's if you're a very good digester. So if you're the average American and you don't digest food very well, because well, 80% of the people are undiagnosed hypothyroid. If you're hypothyroid, that means everything in your body has slowed down to include your potential to produce good, strong amounts of hydrochloric acids in your stomach to break those fats and proteins down to start there. And then to secrete the right amount of bile out of your liver and your gallbladder, and then getting the enzymes from your pancreas, all of that stuff into the small intestine to break and emulsify those fats down to where they're actually absorbable from a cellular perspective. A lot of times we're not really thinking about this. And this is why I wouldn't, if on race day and I had two race days in a row, I would eat no animal protein outside of eggs because I want easy, absorbable fast moving foods that I can get the most nutrients out of while I'm trying to perform at my highest peak. I could be eating plenty of meat up until race week. And then probably I'll start thinning it out. If I eat meat two times a day, normally I probably drop down to one by when four days out from a race, drop down to one, one nice steak a day or whatever burger, chicken, whoever's animal you want to eat that day, eat that animal. But as we roll into race day, it's game on. I'm going to go light and frequent. I'm gonna eat as frequent as I can where I can stomach it and light as I can. So I can really just stay highly hydrated and getting plenty of nutrients. So it's just about nutrient density, not fullness. If you come and visit us in our paddock, it's tradition that you will see all across the table, three things, a case of monster, a five pound bag of Haribo gummy bears and boxes of Fig Newtons. I mean, it's whether it gets eaten or not, it will always be there. This is tradition. <laughs> brings up a good question about snacking because people sometimes eat because they confuse it with being thirsty as we mentioned but they also eat because sometimes they're bored right and it's yeah. something to do and so how do you cut the temptation to snack and generally snacks are either super high in salt right something like a chip or yeah. a crisp if you're from across the pond or a high sugar item like a candy bar or whatever you're hungry grab a snickers you know you've, you've heard the commercials we've talked about melon fruits and things like that to offset but what's a good kind of healthy snack is it the trail mix or is that's still in the wrong category. You know, what else is on that list? But as far as like some good snacks, like what to bring with you, trail mix without candy, legit. Get the M&Ms out of there. Maybe a little bit of dehydrated fruit, like some raisins or dates. Dates are really cool because they're super sweet, like candy. If you can tolerate them, I happen to love them. You could have one date and you'd probably be pretty satisfied because the sugar content is super high. So you have a date, chug some water and like go. And the best part is the way the fiber and the skin of the date is amazing. And it just doesn't give you that hard glycemic hit. It's a slow digesting sugar. So it's really cool. So it doesn't make you feel bad. And you can have a few of those throughout the day and they'll just lift your day up. You know, so we're looking for stuff like that. Just plain nuts. And nuts are great. Trail mix is great because it's fatty. That's what you're looking for out of a nut snack is the fat that's going to solve your hunger. The fat cuts off the hunger. So you get some fat in you, get about a anywhere from a handful or two, which will be anywhere from a quarter cup per handful for most men. And so you get a half a cup of nuts, you're probably looking at somewhere between 275 to 350 calories, probably somewhere around 50 plus grams of fat. And so that will satiate you as long as you're willing to eat that and then hydrate thereafter, probably do you fine. So then there's also cool bars to buy out there. Laura bars have been out forever. And what are they? Dates and something else. Just get the plain stuff that just got the fruit in it. it don't fool yourself and go, I'm gonna go get the healthy bar that's got chocolate chips in it. That's a candy bar, bro. We've crossed the line from health bar to candy bar. 
And we just have to be real about that because a lot of us want to placate like we're not and we just play childish game. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I think you're right about that. But there's also some other things when you start to talk about those bars and some of those alternatives, million of them out there, right? And it's hard to choose when you're in a oh big box God. store. It's like suddenly you just go into like, you know, analysis paralysis. So I've actually found that I really enjoy the Larry and Lenny's products, right? They make uh-huh. the, the cookies or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, I remember you telling me about those years ago. Yeah, they're awesome. Right. And my wife hates them. She's like, they taste like pea protein and they taste like this. And you can, she's real sensitive to that stuff. And, you know, I'm sensitive to anything with peanut powder in it. Like, and, and that was, I was going to say about the nuts too. Obviously nuts are an alternative for folks that can have them. And there's probably some nuts that are better than others. Obviously honey roasted peanuts is not the option versus maybe a, a hazelnut, an almond, a cashew, something that could be roasted or boiled or whatever, you know, you know, the simpler the ingredients. What's hidden in a lot of these bars, and it's not found in the Larry and Lenny stuff, because if you look at the ingredients, they're actually pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But in a lot of these healthy bars is soy. And so there's kind of two schools of camp on soy. It's either super awesome for you or it's like the devil. So I wanted to address this as well. Talk about the controversy of soy. You know, should we be doing this? And then there's obviously the, you know, the the male side of this where it's like, it's going to feminize me by eating soy because it has estrogen in it. Right. And so suddenly we're all going to have, what is it? Man's ears like on on Seinfeld. Right. (laughs) So let's talk about that a little bit. Well, soy has a lot of history. It's just not the same in this country as it is in the original country, which is designed, which is the case for a lot of different foods of culture that end up on our soil here in the U.S. We U.S. it. US, we U.S. bless it to death and it like will bring you death, literally. So yes, yeah, sauce soy is not your friend. It's not anyone's friend. It's not even a woman's friend to be frank. So when we're looking at these soy byproduct preservative items, and if you live around farms like I do, I live around farms, so I get to see soy fields all the time, okay? I see soy, corn, and wheat fields regularly. I truly have a very strong understanding of how these things are farms. And it's not just the estrogen that you have to cope with from processed soy, because eating processed soy is very different than eating edamame. Edamame is a whole food bean. Does it still have some estrogen characteristics? Yep. Does it have more things in it to counterbalance it as a whole food? Yeah, it does. Your body can recognize it and do better things with it. No one's going to grow man boobs from eating edamame. But if you're eating lots of processed foods and all the processed foods, such as your bars and your chips, freezer meals and things like that, raviolis, soy is everywhere. It's in so many things, you don't even realize how much you're really taking in. So I'm such a nut about it. I source soy-free chocolate. I don't want any soy lecithin in my chocolate. I just avoid soy as much as possible because I'm an aging man. I want to look and feel like a man for as long as possible. Okay. And if you guys could see Ken, you would swear he's in his early 30s. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm not all against soy. I'm an application of soy. Whole yeah. food, tolerable, not a high priority food because it's still a genetically engineered crop. I don't like how soy is grown in the U.S. because it's sprayed with glyphosate every time they harvest it. So they prep the fields with glyphosate. They grow a genetically modified bean that can tolerate that environment. And then before they harvest it, they kill the crop with glyphosate so it's easier to harvest. Those toxins make it into those processed foods along with the soy. You can't separate them, 
unfortunately. So we're getting not only that estrogenic opportunity, but we're getting a chelation opportunity. And what that means is we are pulling more stuff out of your body because the presence of glyphosate in that food is in your body. Glyphosate is a natural chelator. It pulls minerals out of things. So it's going to pull it out of you and you're trying to keep your stuff. But yeah, soy me, the only time I recommend soy to clients is typically women. And it's in a fermented form, supplement form to help them get their hormones balanced appropriately. So if they are estrogen deficient, which happens to women as they age, they can become estrogen deficient. We supplement with the right estrogen opportunity. And soy is good for that. And maybe you've even heard of things like uh, natto, that pasty looking, really gross, horrible paste block that Asians typically eat. Don't eat it in the US because if you read the ingredients on that thing, you won't eat that. I hope you won't, because it's not the same natto from Japan. I mean, if it looks like something a wombat pooped out, I'm definitely not going to eat it. No, I'm not doing that. I don't mess with temp either. Temp, soy, or tofu, those are not meant for me. Not this yeah. human. No, thank you. We talked about energy and the type of energy you get from foods and things like that. But what about things you can do physically for yourself? Sleep. Uh, I mean, obviously, everybody needs sleep. Uh, like stretching and like some, some certain like small exercises you can do with body weight exercises in the paddock to help kind of get your juices flowing and things like that. Kind of oh, like warm ups and stuff like that. Did you, you want to talk on that a little bit? You even yeah, like absolutely. I, I would love to, man. I would love to talk about moving the body, you know, really getting your energy to fire, right. Requires a, a holistic approach. So we can drink all the right things, eat all the right things. That's all great. But if we don't fire this system, move the body, things become stagnated. So there's a lymphatic system that runs all throughout the body, which is my biggest focus about movement because that system does not have a pump. It does not have a heart to pump it like your veins and arteries do to move blood. And there is lymphatic fluid in that all the tubes, they're kind of mirror everywhere you have veins and arteries, you've got lymphatic. In fact, there's probably a little bit more lymphatic. It's all over your brain, everywhere. When you get sick, you've got glands out here that swell. You see a lot of people that get cancers, they get these bumps under their arms. Those are lymph nodes or glands. What that system's for, it's your sewer system for your cells. This is where your cells poop and pee into. Physical movement is the only thing that pumps that system to move all that sludge down to your kidney where it gets filtered and then recycled. This is when we're talking about kidneys earlier and that yellow versus clear peeing going on. That's from the blood, but some of that is also from the lymphatic system of the gunk that it's filtering out needs to leave as well. Some exercises that we can do, right? Head to toe, deep stretching, don't make it complicated. I don't have to turn, you know, race stars into, into yogis. I'm not saying there's anything against yoga. It can be complicated, but everybody knows a, just a simple head to toe. Give yourself some time to move what hurts. Move and manipulate what hurts. You, we all got something that ain't aligned right. You've got the shoulder, we've got the lower back, the way that you sit in the car, you probably know what you're going to feel like, what's going to feel like trash after you get out of that cage. Okay, and you're like, geez, my left hand is always jacked up. Work on it. Bring out the roller, bring out the foam roller and do some of that rolling work on those areas that you just tend to have that injury memory. Work on those, get them moving, get them flexible. It's possible, get them warmed up before you get in the cage, before you get in the car. And like I said, I'm doing head turning. Your head's gotta be on a swivel in a vehicle. So you need to make sure that your neck ain't all jacked up. You've done a lot of good stretches with your neck. Just some basic jumping jacks. It really gets everything. You can't beat the old jumping jack. It's just 
funny as hell to do now that we got burpees and shit, right? You got burpees that nobody wants to do, but the old jumping jack is pure awesome because you don't have to do it in high impact. You can just barely move your legs. So you don't have to be a thin guy or an athletic person to do it. And if you want to get things pumping even better, especially if you're a little heavier than you want to be, sit down on the floor and get up by any means necessary safely. And that will get your blood pumping. And it'll also let you know where you hurt. You're like, shit, my ankle's fucked up. I didn't know that hurts. My knee's not right. Oh, this, this hip over here is a little out of whack. My neck, my back, my neck and yeah, my back. You know what's up? So, you know, you can work on those areas. I like to do a little push-ups. I'm a push-up guy. So I'll just get out and knock out 25, 50 push-ups, just get pumped real quick, shake it out. But really for me, it's more about stretching because it's really loosening up the body before you go into a really tight and constrained place where you're not gonna have that opportunity for a long period of time, it's probably gonna be the best win for you. But you'll protect your energy by opening up because when you're in the car, everything is closed. We've got the straps on, they're kind of holding us up, but we're kind of hunched over. And so when we get into that C position, that C position, I call close. You're closing energy off. Anytime you see someone walking like that, they're never energetic people. They're not the hyper people. They're the slow, methodical, uh, uh, ho-hum kind of people. So open everything up, get a nice deep stretch, get some deep breathing exercises. That's amazing. You can practice breathing while you're driving. You'll be a Zen master. If you can, can you got good breathing exercise while you're driving, you're going to think way clearer than the average driver because you're just taking in way more oxygen to your brain. And most people, when they're under duress, they stop breathing, short breaths. So they're not getting as clear thoughts. So if you can train yourself to, to do nice, deep belly breathing while you drive, man, you're going to have an advantage. You're going to have an advantage over the other players out there. But keep it simple. Nice, deep stretching, just a little bit of calisthenics, because I don't know, you might be in your suits. I don't, I don't know what the pit is like or where your area is like all the time, but you might not want to make a big scene, but just some very basic calisthenics, body squats. I probably wouldn't do burpees just because there's too much opportunity to hurt yourself right before a race. You don't want to tweak a finger or a wrist or something. And you're like, damn it. I was just trying to warm up. Like Ken said, now a freaking hand hurts. I can't turn like I want to turn. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Wrap me up, man. Wrap me up, Eric. My, my wrist is all blown out. Call Ken. Tell him thanks. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, avoid those type of high impact movements. Cause that's not the day to do that. Cause you, there's no time to recover. So low impact, you can grab a chair and do body squats into the chair. If you can't go all the way to the ground, just get some stuff to mobilize those legs, fill those knees and joints out. I'm, I'm with you there, man. Sumo squats, even running with high knees right in place. A lot of sure. that stuff, you get the heart rate up, do some basic cardio. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, Eric, when we go to Summer Bash and CMP, we're going to have a GTM boot camp every morning. We got to do it. We should. Stretch. I love it's it. Like, it's like baseball practice all over again. You, you get there, you warm up, you stretch, and you're good to go. Everybody's going to laugh at us in the paddock until we're the one jumping around at the end of the day, and they're all sitting in their little holes. It's going to be starting their day with the Java monster. What are you talking Dude, about? A body in motion is hard to beat. If you're in motion before the other team, you're going to be more alert, more ready, more prepared to go. While they're going, oh, we're going to drive now? I was just putting my <laughs> coffee down. Okay. <laughs> I was just getting my coffee down. But you guys will be hydrated. You will have eaten well. You will have moved your body. You will be doing some deep breathing. So you got plenty of oxygen flow. And so when you, when you land into the vehicle, you'd be more focused, man. I mean, that's the biggest part. When people play sports and they, they don't want to call this a sport, Dude, you try driving that long 
at that intensity and not kill yourself or someone else. Yeah, it's not like going to the grocery store. That's for sure. No, man, this is this is this is not picking up bread. <laughs> it's just as dangerous, though. <laughs> Some would argue safer, actually, but you know that's yeah. a story for another day. And you know that actually brings up another really good point. I even heard the other day somebody was talking about these DNA tests that you can run to tell you which foods are basically in your red zone, orange zone, green zone, etc. So, what do you think about that versus maybe more traditional styles of nutritional coaching and? and things of that nature. Well, I actually use DNA in my practice. I have a very cool platform that allows me to take like 23andMe and Ancestry.com reports and run them through my platform. And I can go all the way down to every snip in your body. Okay. I can see your full code, which is cool. But what's more important is understanding that epigenetic factor, right? Not just understanding your DNA, but understanding how your environment is affecting your DNA, how what you're doing from a lifestyle perspective is affecting your DNA and what type of nutrients you're taking into your body. So what DNA is really great for is getting a good vision map of where your danger areas are. Oh, if I lean too far this way, I'll probably get cancer because I am predisposed and I have these markers that are in red flags right here saying I'm pretty susceptible to this. Or we could be like, dude, green tea is your shit. That's the best stuff for you because of X, Y, and V snips. There are certain things in green tea that would just make your life better. I've even helped a client figure out why she's been trying to stay off of fish because she heard it was bad for her and she craves fish like crazy. She's supposed to eat fish. Her DNA says eat fish, avoid red meat, period. And she felt so much better when she says, I'm just eating fish like crazy and I feel amazing. Why? Because she probably needs way more iodine in her body to feel better. When people tell me they don't eat any seafood, I get very concerned and I take a good look at them because they probably have all types of deficiencies from not eating seafood because there's no iodine in anything else we eat except seafood. It used to be in our, in our land, but it's not in our land anymore. And you're not getting it from Morton's table salt. That's not even the right form of iodine. You don't want that crap in your body. Yeah, so the DNA test, I love them. I love them as... One of the markers, what I typically do is I look at DNA, I look at cellular information. So I want to see your cell data, your cell tissue information. I want to see your DNA. Your DNA is like, that's a foundation. Cellular data is like, this is who you are right now. And I also look at blood type. And I know people talk good and bad things about blood type diets and all this good stuff. My thing is not to go blood type for a pure play methodology, but to find correlation. And so Instead of going one test, most doctors, they're locked in to blood test. What's the problem with blood tests? They're homeostatic. Your body's doing everything in its power to make your blood perfect every minute of your life. So it's not telling you the truth. So by the time you see a bad marker in your blood, you're really screwed. We have other tests that allow us to see things before they become clinical. Let's just take magnesium, for example. I got into this argument with, not an argument, but a little bit of a dispute with a doctor once. I had made a post about magnesium or something. He goes, man, I've run like over 5,000 labs on my clients and not one of them have ever had a magnesium deficiency. I said, that's interesting, doctor. Don't you find that like not scientifically valid considering the, the state of America and that we don't have magnesium in our soils? Maybe the test isn't the right test for what you're looking for. And then I went to further explain to him, only 1% of our magnesium is ever in our blood at any given time. Oh, wow. It's not the right test to test that functionality of the body. If you wanted to find out if you were good on potassium, well, if you ate a banana for breakfast that day, you're probably going to be good on potassium. But from a cellular reserve standpoint, you might have none. 
you might be down to like one milligram of cellular reserve for potassium, which means you're an incident away from a heart attack. It's not a test. It's looking at multiple vector points of a body and then also getting to understand what is the human body saying. And so I run a, another assessment where it's like a psychological evaluation for your health. And so you get asked some repetitive questions for about 30 to 45 minutes. And what we're asking you is about symptoms, their severity level, the frequency and intensity, like how intense it is, how often does it happen and what is it? We'll map those back to nutrient deficiencies, imbalances, preclinical and clinical conditions. And so now I've got the language of the body. I've got the language of your cell. I have the DNA code, and now I can cross-reference that information. And then if we have anything left undiscovered, like iron, for example, you know, there's some good iron panels to get in blood that now I can use some of that information to correspond with the other data to come up with a very smart way of doing things. And now we're not just depending on, this is the technical thing that normally happens out there. And probably many people out here are going to probably nod their head when I say this. You go to your doctor after you did your blood test and they take at your blood and they go, everything's good. All the levels look good. All, everything's within range. Meanwhile, you didn't go take your blood because you felt amazing. Probably got your blood taken because you felt like hot garbage and you still feel like hot garbage. But the doctor's sending you on going, I don't know what else to do with you because they have limited tool sets. They're going to do a blood test or they're going to do a urine test. Problem with urine, urine just shows what you're excreting. That's it. This is what's coming out. This is what's left. This is extra stuff that we didn't need to make blood with. Right. So we're going to let it out. So we just have to kind of take that into context, wrapping our heads around what's the right test to get the right information. Don't depend on one source of information around the human body because the human body is pretty damn complex. We're obviously still trying to figure it all out. You know, for us not to take that into account is not good. But man, I, I like DNA tests because for some people, it's the trigger to get them to do something right. You know, you hit right upon something that I've been thinking about this entire time. Time is, is getting it right, right? And everything we've talked about here is all part of that larger recipe. And I think it's more than just the track hangover. It's more than just the track weekend. It's about maybe resetting your polarity a little bit and putting oh, yeah. yourself on a trajectory for success, you know, in anything you want to do, whether it's day to day or, or some other pursuit or other athletic event or whatever it might be. So, you know, Ken, this has been an awesome bit of insight into, you know, your professional background, what you do in your practice and how it's applicable to our often overlooked sport of motorsports and, and, yeah. and all that. So this has been absolutely fantastic. I wanted to leave with this too, because you mentioned this. And so part of what I do as coach, I want you guys to think about this. When you think about your health in general, you're a sports person, you go out and you show up on a day to perform at a high level. But what if you got a call today? And they were like, man, we need you at the track tomorrow. We got a spot for you. There's money on the table. Can you make it? Will you be ready? That's the question. Are you physically able to? And that's one of the principles I live by. Can I be called upon today? Am I ready to perform at my highest level on a whim's notice? Am I sleeping enough typically? Am I eating the right things typically? Am I taking good care of myself typically so that if I get the call, and someone's like, hey, Ken, I need you to fly out to New York to do a show. Okay, let's go, right? I'm, I'm ready. If you're doubting that right now as we're going through this, are you ready to go do your craft? And if you question that, then you have to question your lifestyle and start to get real about some things. You know, I'm trying to be on the earth until I'm at least 125. That's how long I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be around. Okay, so I specialize in chronic fatigue, adrenal fatigue, physical and mental fatigue. I'm a fatigue specialist. And the reason I became a fatigue specialist is because I have 
a network engineering background. We like systems. We understand systems and cross connects and the body is nothing but systems and they have routers, they have gateways. And so it's not about looking at one thing. It's about looking at the system as a whole and understanding where things intersect, where things are breaking upstream, downstream, northeast, west, and getting a good troubleshooting mindset framework around that so that we can get you back up running appropriately and getting very strong cellular fire, getting oxygen to deliver appropriately, getting ATP to be built appropriately, happy mitochondria all over the place, you feeling like a million bucks and all your friends going, dude, how in the hell are you have that much energy? So if you're into this game of what we're talking about today, like you're a badass driver and you're, you're, you're all about it, put the best body you can behind the seat. Do that. Yes. Put the best body you got behind the seat. And if you want to reach out or just check up on me, the hottest spot to find me right now is on Facebook. I know that might be old news for some of you younger listeners out there. My Facebook group is called Fatigue Fixers. You'll find it if it has a black logo with these gold wings on it, like it's got gold wings, that's me. And that's New Bill of Health. I'm Ken Newbill. I'm a functional nutrition practitioner, holistic health coach. I'm also a hair tissue mineral analysis professional. I have the training to actually look at your cellular information to understand the disposition of your nutrients and toxicities, all the things that are breaking you and you don't even realize are breaking you. We can help get those things mobilized out of your body and bring you back into balance and vitality. As Ken said, you know, he is, he is multifaceted in the nutrition world. And if you want to learn more about him and his program about hydration and nutrition, be sure to reach out to Ken via Facebook at new bill of health or check out his YouTube channel or his live seminars. And I hear you got a podcast in the works. I do podcast is coming up. We're still messing with the title. I have, I want to call it new bill of health so that I can talk about anything. So that's probably what it's going to be. We were going to do fatigue focused. I think new bill of health would be a bit more catchy, but I invite people to come on out, check me out, join the Facebook group. You can check me out online at newbillahealth.com. If you need a session, I give 15 minute free sessions, 15 minute discovery session. Let's get on. Let's talk about what you got going on. I'll share with you how I can help you and we'll get you moving in the right direction from there, but we can kind of vet each other out make sure I'm the right fit for you. And I'll definitely refer you to the right place if I'm not the right guy. And again, big shout out to Sam and Andrew for really kicking this on. Again, thank you to Ken, my longtime friend, for coming on and oh, doing man. this and explaining to our motorsport community all about the importance of hydration, health, nutrition, and all of this. I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. I think this has been absolutely fantastic. Thanks so much for having me, man. You guys are great hosts. I love what you guys are doing. I want to see you do more of this stuff and get, get super big so I can be like, that's my guy. I know that guy. They're awesome. <laughs> your, your driver um, number is 13. That's all I'm going to say. They ask, what's your driver <laughs> number? It's 13. Uh, and, and I can say after this podcast, GTM members are going to be the most fit people around the paddock all across the country. Anywhere we go, we're going to be the fittest group you will ever see. But in the words of the great Weird Al, remember everybody, just eat it. Or I, I mean, stay thirsty, my friends. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.